title uh, this series uh, Inside Out and it's based on the Pixar movie of the same name a number of years ago and today we are looking at the emotion of disgust and apparently was the most popular merchandise item when the movie came out. Came out. I'm not sure why that is but uh, I think we've got a picture of disgust there, is that right? No, maybe we don't. Is there a... There we go, that's disgust. I think we've got a disgust doll somewhere in our house. One of our girls had it. But the common dictionary definition of disgust is a feeling of revulsion or strong disapproval aroused by something unpleasant or offensive. Now, it's typically associated with food or our senses. Uh, In the movie, the main character uh, was disgusted by eating broccoli and uh, apparently, when the movie was released, uh, they actually needed to release a number of different versions of the movie for international audiences because children, can you believe this, in certain parts of the world weren't disgusted by broccoli. So there you go. There's some parts of the world where broccoli was really... Kids loved it. I don't know where that is, but there was some... Apparently, culturally, kids are disgusted by different foods, and we kind of get that today that Americans can't understand how we like Vegemite or things like that. Now, some will argue that, uh, the scientists might argue that our experience of disgust is some kind of survival mechanism to help us to be repulsed by certain things that are, that are harmful for us. So we might feel naturally disgusted by blood or germs or mould or lack of hygiene and that's kind of like a survival mechanism we're designed to have. Today I'm not going to so much focus on that kind of disgust, it's kind of more about our senses, but more a related experience, which I'm going to call uh, the ki- a kind of moral disgust. Uh, and it's interesting, when you see the picture of the disgust character, she's presented really as this character who's above everyone else, kind of looking down, everyone else, everything else is gross, Right? Now, sometimes our everyday experience of disgust, like hating broccoli, can turn into a kind of moral disgust when you think that people who eat broccoli or like broccoli are inferior to you or maybe like if you're Jake McCurdy, you know, if someone who has instant coffee and likes it, maybe they're they're inferior to you. But usually we know that uh, taste is taste and we... We hope... No, I'm joking, Jake. Thank you. I enjoyed your coffee very much. (laughs) You just made me a delicious coffee, so thank you very much. But we know the difference between that kind of taste, kind of not being repulsed by something, but then really kind of looking down on other people's behaviours or attitudes. Uh, That's the kind of thing we're going to be looking at today, that experience of disgust. And we're thinking about, as Christians... What do we make of these experiences? How does the gospel of Jesus change the way we understand our experience of disgust? Let me start, start with a bunch of real quotes that I've heard from people in, in, uh, who've had negative experiences of church or Christian communities. And here's a bunch of ones that have been said to me and you might have had similar ones said or you might have felt this way uh, as well. Uh, this is, here's a series of quotes I feel, I feel so judged because I am the only one who gets drunk on the weekend. I feel so judged because I've slept around. I feel so judged because I have a baby and I'm not married. I feel so judged because 
I was the only one swearing. I feel like I feel so judged because I'm the only one who's experimented with drugs. Now, as Christians, what do we make of these quotes? If you're anything like me, you want to hold two things together, right? You wish dearly that those people would say, not I feel so judged, but I felt so loved, don't you? You want people to say when they're part of a Christian community, I felt so loved. But you also don't want to celebrate all those things as being good. It's hard, especially hard to celebrate the things that, where there's been damaged third parties or other victims that have happened because of those behaviours. And so for some people who come into Christian communities, their experiences of Christians, rightly or wrongly, can be a little bit like the, the character of disgust speaking to the hand, I'm above you, I'm going to judge you. Now, that's the experience that some people will have. I want to walk us through a series of questions to offer us a framework to think about uh, this experience of disgust in light of the gospel of Jesus. And I've got a series of questions uh, for us just to ponder and then we'll draw together some implications at the end. And they're fairly basic questions, uh, but let's think through them right now. So the first question is, do you know where the line of good, do you know where the line between good and evil is? So the Russian writer and historian, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I can never say that right, he famously wrote, the line between good and evil runs not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. Now, awareness of this line that goes through every human heart between good and evil, I think is the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector in Jesus' parable. That is, their awareness of where this good and evil line is. If it, In Luke chapter 18, we see there's the parable of Jesus talking about the people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everybody else. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest saying, God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now you see the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector the Pharisee was delighted in himself and disgusted at the sin of others. The tax collector was disgusted in himself and his sin and completely oblivious to the sin of others. So the right starting point for us to look at ourselves is looking at where we stand with God. The right starting point is that we are right to feel the offence of our actions before God not the offence of other people's actions before God. Our starting point is with the question of good and evil, is that it's not a question of us versus them. It is a matter of every human heart 
That's the first question. Do you know where the line between good and evil is? The second question is, do you know the despised servant? So if we are going to be real with our sin, that line between our heart, that the good and evil that's right in between every, every human heart, if we are indeed offended or disgusted by it, God doesn't want to leave us there. Notice how the tax collector, with, with the tax collector, Jesus doesn't, serious, doesn't simply just commend the tax collector for his humility and the offence at his sin, saying that's commendable. He doesn't leave it there. He says that the humility of the tax collector, uh, that he's disgusted his sin, was the starting point, to, the, the turning point for him to actually walk away from that place right with God, to be lifted up, to be exalted. And so if we are uh, here today, some of us might be more prone to be pharisaical in our disgust at the sin of others, and we might need to hear the challenge of the humility and look inwards to understand the sin that runs in our hearts before we start being so shocked at the sin of others out there. But others of us might be paralysed by self-loathing. You might be disgusted in yourself for all kinds of reasons. You might feel like you are not good enough. You might feel like you hate something about yourself or your past. For you, you need to hear... That this kind of self-disgust at where you stand with God is not where God wants to leave you. He wants to lift you up. He wants you to cast your burdens, your inadequacies, your offences, your sins before God, to cast them on his son, Jesus, the despised servant, the one who knew no sin but carried it on himself to bear the punishment that, like the tax collector, we know we deserve, and like the tax collector, we know we can't pay. Hear these magnificent words from Isaiah 53. You see here, Jesus prophesied as being the most despised, rejected person on the planet. Everyone eventually turned their noses up at him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was, he was like someone who someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. And yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Do you know the despised servant? So do you know where the line of good and evil is? Through every human heart. Do you know the despised servant, the one who people, human, the human race were disgusted by, everyone turned their noses up at? Third question, do you know the difference between your past, present and future? So one, when someone gives their life to Jesus, it's no small thing. Our story has changed and we should expect our lives to look different to our past. 
these interesting words here from the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, the suffering servant suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve. Because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there's already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behaviour, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and lawless idolatry. It's interesting when you hear those words of Peter to New Testament Christians, it does sometimes at first glance, look a little bit like that us and them language of just look at those people out there. But it's important to notice here how we are to think about our attitudes to those who carry on in these behaviours. It's not just those people. It's described as our past. That's the framework. We are not rejecting other people that we are better than. We are rejecting our past. And we can see our past that is outside of Christ, we can see our past in all kinds of manifestations in the world today. That wasn't an exhaustive list, of course. But we need to know the difference between our past, our present being transformed, and our future being like Christ. Fourth question. Do you know how others will think of you? It is very hard when, Christ, when people speak of Christian communities being judgmental, hypocritical, self-righteous, a bit like the quotes that I mentioned earlier. The natural reaction is to deeply wish that we were perceived as being a loving and accepting and affirming community. But it's not that simple. Because sometimes someone's negative experience in a Christian community can be due to self-righteous, pharisaical, legalistic attitudes by church members focusing on pointing out the flaws of others, puffing themselves up with no humility, ending up excluding people, feeling ashamed of themselves. And whenever we see these practices at St Mark's or in our own day-to-day lives, we are right to be alarmed and concerned if our community is one like that pharisaical self-righteous puffed up but at other times it might not have anything to do it might not be have anything to do with being an unloving christian community it might not have anything to do with something that a christian community has said or done that is unloving but simply that the christian community was repulsive because of a heart that had not yet been transformed by the love of Jesus. And this is quite difficult for us, but have a look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Again, verse 4, they are surprised. So this is following on from that section about the the way that you had lived in in unrestrained behaviour, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and all that stuff. It says, they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living and they slander you. That is, the expectation is that those who follow Jesus will be slandered, not just for the name of Jesus, but for what you choose to do and what you choose not to do. Now, why is that? 
Well, if we follow, now there's a logic here, if we follow and worship the one who is described in Isaiah 53 as being despised and rejected by men, like someone people turned away from, he was despised and we didn't value him. If we say, yes, I would like to follow in your footsteps, I would like to consider Christ, I would like to imitate Christ, why on earth should we expect people to like us and accept us and affirm us and value us if they don't worship Christ. If, why, would, why would we expect that? We shouldn't be surprised if people treat us the way that Jesus was treated. Now again, that doesn't mean whenever someone hates us, it's because we're being like Jesus. It can be because we're being a jerk, right? <laughs> We've got to be very careful. So, well, people hate me. <laughs> How godly am I? No, you need to be very careful, Right? But at the same time, we can be obsessed by being loved by everyone. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2, To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. So in our right desire to love everyone, our neighbours and our enemies, in Christ-like sacrificial love, we must not confuse this goal with the goal of being loved by everyone. Was Jesus loved by everyone? No. To some, the gospel of Jesus is a disgusting stench of death that claims an end to freedom an end to autonomy, but to others it is a beautiful fragrance of liberating life. So let's think through some implications, particularly in regard to some of the questions we're thinking about at the beginning and a framework for us to think through this experience of disgust. And I've got uh, just six kind of sort of summary points really for us to think through as we finish up. First thing as we think about disgust is concern with your own sin first. Pray to be disgusted by the presence of sin in your own life. So when we come to think about disgust, pray that you will be offended by the sin, the presence of sin in your own life, allergic to it. It has no place, disgusted by it. That's the first step. The second, and this is very important, carry your disgust with your sin to the cross. That's why Jesus died, to the suffering, despised servant. Don't sit there in self-loathing, disgust, woe is me. Take it to the cross. Third point, disgust with our own sin leads to a desire to love and not judge others. For we too are deserving of judgment. The fourth, the problem of sin is very real. It was so serious and so offensive to God that it cost him the death of his own son. So be very careful with confusing the call to love others with being loved by everyone, which leads to downplaying the seriousness of sin. 
If we ever find ourselves downplaying the seriousness of sin, we have missed the point of the cross. Finally, when it comes to disgust and our relationship with others, let us be known first and foremost with a concern that people know the cure more than they know our diagnosis. That is, we would dearly love people to walk away from our Christian community at St Mark's, whether, whether they like it here or not, with the line, gee, they're very obsessed with Jesus. Wouldn't that be good? They might not think Jesus of much of Jesus. People might not think much. But we'd love to be known, first and foremost, that we're obsessed with Jesus. Because that's where we are being called to. Let me take a moment now just to give us some quietness in our own hearts. And I'm going to pray. And then we're going to uh, respond in, in song. Let's just take a moment. Father, we come before you now acknowledging uh, the reality of sin in our own life. We come before you acknowledging just how costly it was for you to deal with the sins in our own life. And we are sorry for the ways that we can be self-righteous and look down on others. We're sorry for the ways in which we can trivialize the sin in our own life. We're also sorry for the ways that we can become paralyzed by our own sin that we haven't even given any thought or trust in the cure, in the salvation found in your son. We ask that you will be humbling all of us and lifting us up in the name of your son, help us to be a community that takes very seriously the reality of sin, knowing that the reality of sin is what sent your son to the cross. Help us to be a community that is known for, first and foremost, holding out the hope of life, the aroma of life, in the name of your son. And we ask this in his name. Amen.